contagion across the nation. Pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review. Made by the fans, for the fans. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Rage and Review podcast. Jerry is out for the 50th episode of season four, so Nick and I will do the heavy lifting. Sorry in advance. But we're here to talk about a tradition unlike any other. And no, I am not talking about the Masters. I'm talking about the Cajuns beating Louisiana Tech, Lolly Polly. Polytechnic, UL Rustin. That's I'm, really what they should be called. I'm with it. It's it's amazing. You know, I don't know how many people realize this, but in the athletic year of 2021, we swept them in every sport that we played. This is what their fans describe as the golden age of tech ba- uh, baseball, and the Cajuns have been four and one over the last couple of years. In a time where we, we've been rebuilding, we have a new coach, and we're trying to find our our footing again in baseball. So I, I really don't know what to say to a Tech fan today. Uh, I know they, they had a lot of guys in the, in the stands complaining over the broadcast last night, which was absolutely hilarious. Well, first Showed of all, you- no, they, did, they didn't have a lot of guys. They had some individuals in that stadium. There weren't a lot of guys there, okay? That's, that's a good correction. There were, there were a few uh, jackasses that had absolutely no idea what baseball is supposed to look like because the things that they were complaining about were just – I mean, it's just outrageous. Anyway, a good win yesterday uh, after we, we you know, gave away one the night before. So Nick and I are going to get into that. We're going to talk about things on the periphery. Like one, one thing I really want to talk about is Jay's broadcast, how Jay and Top are really taking shots at basically anything tech last night. It was really good. Uh, the broadcast on television was high schoolish, just to be nice. Uh, and there's plenty to get, to get into it. But the first thing I want to start with is obviously – Cooper Rawls, what a performance. So many questions come out of a performance like that. And I guess the very first one I'd ask, Nick, is really, two appearances all season, guy comes out, throws 100-plus pitches, gives up five hits and a run in seven and two-thirds against an offense that is potent. How does that happen? Look, I that's a good question. I will tell you it was a fantastic performance. Agreed. Where has he been? But I think we need to just back up a little bit and say, I've seen a lot of great pitching performances midweek from a guy we haven't seen. And then he goes out, they get a little bit of film on him. He goes out second game and, and can't get out the first inning. So absolutely thrilled to maybe have a potential fourth starter, but I'm going to temper my excitement for just a little bit. Big picture guy. I want to see a little bit of, of consistency in that regard, but man, I'll take it. That was that was a man on the mound last night that came in when we were down what I think five runs in the second and he just shut him down for the rest of the game. That was huge. We needed that. We needed somebody in our bullpen to step up and he really did last night. Yes, picked up Havard in a huge way. Uh, I want to say this. Let's get to know him a little bit. Cooper Rawls. Uh, obviously, everybody knows. I think everybody knows that he's the uh, younger brother of Julie Rawls, who was a three-year letter winner and catcher for our softball team here. And then, and before we dig into his performance in the game, I just want to get to know him a little bit more because we don't know anything about him. He is a sophomore transfer from Tyler Junior College, 6'1", 200 pounds. 
Um, he had 10 appearances for Tyler, had a 4.14 ERA, uh, but he did help to lead Tyler to a JUCO national title. He struck out 47 batters and 37 innings for them. Uh, he, he was also the uh, teammate of Heath Hood, who's also now a Cajun, obviously. So those guys are familiar with each other. Uh, he, he was the number one ranked JUCO uh, pitcher as a freshman in 2019. Some of these stats and some of these uh, uh, facts about Rawls are, are pretty outstanding. I mean, if you stand out in Texas, you can play. We had a guy in the back end of the bullpen who really got buried. I mean, let's be honest. He had two appearances, and I don't think he threw three innings. Uh, he came out. He struck. Look, the, the way that he pitched was really the story for me. He didn't just come in, nibble, get a couple of pop-outs, you know, maybe get fortunate. Tech really didn't even push the guy. I mean, he had one walk, 12 Ks. Uh, like I mentioned, five hits and a run. This is a Tech team that can score runs. They, they, they scored seven against a top 15 pitching staff in USM just last week. So, I don't know, man. It's it, it for me. It just it it was exciting to see. Yes, but it it gave me more questions than it than it gave me answers. And you made the comment about how you know we we've seen individual performances be big for the Cajuns and and be eye opening to to a certain degree. That relief performance, I'll even say, when he came back out for his sixth inning of relief yesterday, I thought. Well, you know, he's thrown 70-plus. I think we're pushing him a little bit. And I started to question. Uh, but, man, he made a believer out of me. He made a believer out of me. And, and if you can find somebody, I don't even think I need him as my starter, but if I can rely on him, in, even in a midweek role where he can come in and eat up innings, I think you take that if you're Degs and, and Tid. Yeah, I can't remember a, another performance that was as dominating and sustained as that one was and unexpected. Um, you know, you, you'll, you'll sometimes have a guy come out of the bullpen that you haven't heard of and give, give you a good couple innings and, and not give any runs and, and maybe strike out the side both times. And, and then you're really impressed, but man, for him to go through the ninth and then, and then of course he gets in a little bit of trouble in the ninth, which I didn't even think I'd see him in the ninth, but here he is. And he gets in a little bit of trouble and, and just takes care of business. That's what we need out of the bullpen. That's what we held. That's what we need from our starters. Right. So, um, so it was great to see, like I said, I'm, I'm excited to see what, what this brings has a, have a lot of questions like you, like where has this guy been? But the fact is he's here. So, so let's, let's see what he can do. Give him, give him a shot. I would be surprised if we don't see him starting mid our next midweek game. Um, so yeah, excited to see what, what lies ahead for him. I was, I was disappointed that Haver didn't get off to a good start. You know, that's three in a row where his stuff just doesn't look, Lively, uh, fastball was flat, wasn't really hitting his spots. I hate that for him. I like Havard a whole lot. I was surprised, I think like you were, when he was named the Saturday starter to begin the season. I didn't see that out of Havard. I will say in his first few appearances, he looked the part. Um, but it's it's it almost felt like he had a little arm fatigue recently. Uh, and I know that uh, Tib made a comment when he spoke with Scott on KPL the other day, and he said that they made a tweak to his arm and to his delivery, or not to his arm, but to his delivery, and that they felt that, you know, it, the, the coaching staff had more confidence after the tweak and that Havard looked like, you know, he was back on top of his game. I, I didn't see anything different. I, I, I certainly didn't see any extra movement. I, I hate to see it. You know, he has a tough inning, gives up four, comes out, gives up a solo homer. You know, at that point, 
I don't know. What do you do with him? Do you move him back to the weekend and try to try to build his confidence back, give him a relief role? I, I'm I'm curious to see what they do with Havert. Yeah, I think you switch him out with Rawls at this point because Rawls has proven in one game, and now again, this is not sustained performance, but in one game, he's proven he can come in and get the job done. So I think you you switch him out there for midweek, and then then yeah, you give him a relief role and hope that in in put him maybe in some situations um, that that maybe his pitching style will match up with the batter and give him a little bit of confidence. Because again, I think you see it more with pitchers, and we saw it in the first game. I mean, we walked, um, we're, all we did was walk guys the first game, right? And that's not, that's not a technique. That's not a, a pitching style. That's, that's not, it, that, that's just mental. And, lack and of execution and mental. Yeah, Correct. it's lack of execution and it's mental and you got to get into a better space. And we saw, I saw it a couple seasons ago. Um, I, I think it was Demo. I don't remember who it was back then, but he went out to, at Southern Miss and just he couldn't get anybody out like in relief like he was our guy and he couldn't get anybody out and that it's not his lack of talent it's just the fact that that night he was mentally not there so i think they just need to work on maybe i mean i i know i'm joking i used to joke about this but i'm not joking anymore maybe a sports psychologist to come in and talk to these guys because that that has helped um in some instances with other teams that are facing the same issues it's not your talent it's your mental ability to focus it and just get the job done. So maybe, maybe that's the answer. I don't know, but, um, but he's definitely got the talent and, and the coaching staff clearly has seen something in him that they feel he is a starter. Um, he just can't put it t- together right now. So that's, that's disappointing. But yeah, I think, I think a, a reliever role situational pitching might get him back into the groove of things, but we'll see as the season progresses. And if I'm looking back to last year, I thought he was at his best in that role and I still like him. I think that he's, the, the makeup of Havard, Peyton Havard is not scared of you. He's going to try to go and get you out. I value that in a pitcher. Even though he may be struggling, I value that attitude, and I hope that his mentality doesn't change because he's not getting guys out. I, I hope that he continues that. And it's just a matter of time before he gets back on, and, and, and I have confidence that I'll come back. Let's get into the game a little bit. You know, we mentioned that we give up the four runs in that first inning, and then Peyton gives up the homer, which was ultimately, you know, his undoing. Uh, Rawls comes in and just shuts the door. He does give up a run, but he shuts the door after that. I mean, completely dominating. Our guys kind of scuffled early, and the kid that Tech started, uh, uh, Harlan, you know, I didn't think he had incredible stuff. Similarly, Similar to uh, Greg Martinez last night, I didn't think he had amazing stuff. I just thought that we were swinging over the pitch. I thought that we were just under, around, and over. We couldn't barrel it up. As soon as we started to get into their bullpen, though, uh, especially the second guy in relief, that his fastball, he just kept throwing the ball over the heart of the plate, which was totally baffling to me. Still don't understand the the strategy behind that, you know. I understand you have a six-run lead, but this is a team, or a five-run lead. The Cajuns are a team that have shown they can hit the fastball. So I still don't understand th- their strategy there, But and I have a lot of respect for Lane Burroughs, but obviously, change it up, man. Do something. We go into the seventh, or excuse me, the sixth, and we go... Single, 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 error, walk, single. I mean, that, it, that is the hardest way to have a big inning. We had, we had, you know, one error that was barely an error. I mean, it was borderline. Uh, we had one walk. It wasn't like they, they just handed us free bases. We went out and singled our way to a six-run inning. 
And, you know, credit to Rinconis, who's gotten clutch hit after clutch hit every time he gets an opportunity. Bobby Lede gets an opportunity to get in that bat. He gets a, uh, you know, he gets a single. Uh, Garrett, Austin Garrett, who spelled Brock, he came in and had an excellent at bat, took a walk. What do you say? Guys really just stepped up in that inning and hit the pitches that they were given. Yeah, and I'm going to say that lineup last night was my favorite lineup. No and kidding. That lineup. Absolutely. Look, hey, hey, they did what they they did last night. You just mentioned Lede came in, get a single. Yeah, I mean, Lede, is, is, he, can, he can hit. We can use him in situa- situational situations. That doesn't make sense. We can use him in certain situations um, that would benefit the team and then insert him into the field where necessary. But I think, I mean, you can't. Rinconis has shown. He can hit. He's shown he can play defense at second. You let the man play defense at second and bring in Bobby when we can use him the best. Um, but, yeah, I, li- I like everything that we saw with our approach. Um, game one, we struck out way too much. And I'm like you, I don't understand what it is about midweek pitching that just it, it seems like we forget that on, on you know Friday nights we can swing and on, on Sunday nights we can swing. But all of a sudden on Saturday or midweek pitching, we just can't hit the ball. So that's a little bit frustrating. And, again, I think that's just – that, that's that's mental and that that brings back the consistency that we were talking about if we had the same consistency that we have on friday or sundays i i think we would be in a in a much better place there but what i like is that again we go down big and then we come back with that huge sixth sixth inning and we should have scored scored more i'm sure we will talk about the ineptness of the the officiating at that game absolutely um, horrible <laughs> and you know, you I, I will I will bring that up now. I was watching the high school broadcast from the high home camera that looks like it was being filmed on a VHS tape from the eighties. Were you um, were you pumping gas at the Exxon while you were watching? Why did I I was like, why did I pay ten bucks for this? And That's and bad. look, I get I get I was making fun of McNeese, but it was a free stream and I'm just going to, you know, it is what it is. And they aren't trying for a production quality situation, but if you're going to be Louisiana tech and act like you were the elite school of the, of the world and, and you know, you're better than LSU in the state and you're the greatest ever. I mean, when you put on that kind of presentation and have that kind of PA announcer in the back, I mean, it's just, it's funny to watch from a distance, but anyway, I didn't, obviously I couldn't see from way up in the bird's eye view from behind home plate. But when he swung at the pitch and it was so out of the strike zone, it looked like he was just trying, I guess, to protect the plate at that point. And I couldn't tell whether or not it was a foul ball. And I was probably as far as that, that first base umpire was from the situation. And you're telling me that the home plate umpire who was right there completely missed it and didn't hear it come off the bat or anything. And, and that guy in the field's going to be able to make that call. Um, I think if he wouldn't have gotten thrown out at Nichols, he he had gotten run up, rung up at that point, talking about that deg. So, um, and then and then to follow it up with another terrible call. Oh, that, that was that, worse. That took runs off of the board for us. That that's just amazing to me. So yeah, that they they overcame a little bit of adversity. And look, they could have easily let that moment get the best of them, but they came right back and got. I think I think he struck out the side, or or he got three straight outs right after that. So that that was great to see. But yeah, it was uh, it was it was fun to watch some of some of the antics that went on in that ballpark last night. What drove me nuts about that entire situation was they called it a, a wild pitch. Okay, talking about the the first call. Yep. They called it the wild pitch. Lane Burroughs comes out of the dugout, raises hell. They meet. Who makes that call other than the home plate umpire? 
Who, who, like, seriously, who has a better angle to make the call? Anyway, they, they meet, and then the guy calls it a foul ball. I have never seen anything like that. But again, even if the home plate umpire doesn't see it, you can hear it, right? You, you can hear you it. Can that's hear it. that's where I was it. going with it We're next. Talk, right. Nobody's close like that guy. I mean, if, if it's a foul tip, you hear it. The guy at first base who, by the way, was, I mean, just probably one of the – we have had some bad umpires this year. I mean, real bad. <laughs> that guy, that guy was the worst. I mean, he was making shit up. I mean, he yeah, had to be. We yeah. he, he had to be. So to, to convene, have a conversation, and then call that ball a foul tip, Dude, that 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 is that's so bad. And and you know, to give our guys credit, they roll with the punches and then we drop a spectacular bunt and they the interference call. I mean, <laughs> what did you want the second what, what did you want, want the runner to do? There was that's literally nothing else he could have done. Nope. Literally nothing. So yes, we got we lost it should have been a nine run inning, it was a seven run inning in the sixth. It should have been a nine run inning. And we, we put them to sleep at that point. I mean, it would have been 10 sinks, ball game. You could have – it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I don't think they come back from a four-run lead at that point. I mean, Rawls had just decimated the lineup. But the umpiring, you know, we'll probably get into this uh, in another episode because we could probably do 30 minutes on what a disaster the umpiring has become uh, in college baseball. And, uh, the Sun Belt in particular. But I've seen – I've watched a couple of AAC games that are also terrible, uh, a couple of CUSA games that are also terrible. So uh, some of our Southern Miss friends were watching and, uh, and sending us messages and saying similar things about how the umpiring has just gotten to be so bad. I mean, we, we can't find competent umpires anymore. Also, you know, another, piggybacking on the broadcast comments, the first five innings of that game were just total pain. And I'm listening to Jay on the way back from soccer practice with, with Camille, my daughter, and, and he's just taking pot shots at everything tech, you know, it's the PA announcer acting like a UFC or a WWE announcer. He's announcing the roster or the, you know, the guy walking up to the plate like he's about to enter WrestleMania. That was hilarious. They didn't pronounce our kids' names right, and he'd say things like, and the PA announcer doesn't take the time to actually read the pronunciation guide, so he just called Lede Latta. You know how Jay's really good at that sarcastic dry stuff. So I'm just, like, he made me laugh, and he got me through the fifth, and, you know, obviously we had the big six, but... Uh, they made fun of the songs and the organ, and, <laughs> and I love the way Brad would have followed up with, yeah, well, you know, it's a really nice park, and uh, I did find one negative thing. The sun is in your eyes if you're sitting <laughs> in left field. Like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, but, uh, it was, look, going back to the PA thing, because I am I used to do that, right? Yeah, you're and, aficionado on this. You can speak on it. But the thing is, like, my it, it's funny. No, no one's ever told me this, but my dad told me one time. He was like, hey, look. Don't make the game about you. Like you're there to announce a game. You can, you can, you know, you can say names with a little bit more emphasis, but don't make the game about you. And that guy was making the game about him and he was terrible at doing it. Right. So that's what made it even funnier. But I'll go back to my comments earlier where Louisiana tech fans try to portray and try to get this perception out that they're just, they're the classiest the best, the number one university. And then you, and then reality, you look at them and you go, really? Like you, yeah, you had a solid football team for quite a while. You guys went toe to toe with some of the big boys, but when's the last time they made an NCAA tournament in basketball, but that's their, that's their golden child, right? 30 years. Um, right? right. They've had some success in baseball credit lane Burroughs. I mean, he's turned that program around. We beat them 17 straight games from 1996 to 2000. 
So credit to, to that program for turning around, but come on, man. Like you're, you're, you're tech, you're in Ruston, you're in Louisiana. Like you can, you can, you know, pat yourself on the back and pop up, prop up your program, but they like to, to duty on other programs in the state, which I think is hilarious. You have no right to do that, but you know, teach his own, have fun with that. Have fun with your, your little ballpark with your UFC announcer. Yeah, good luck. The crack shack. <laughs> For the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah. The crack shack. The crack shack. You know, if they if they ever stop winning in football, that would I mean, the fan base will disappear because they don't win in anything else. Ever since women's basketball hasn't been good since what the mid nineties, they have nothing to hang their hat on. And now Louisiana, we're our one institution. They're not that. They can't claim anything engineering. They can't claim anything nursing. They can't they can't claim anything academically that's better than us. Their baseball team is certainly not better. Their, their basketball team, I think that we lead the series all time. But one thing that Bob has been able to do, and I'll give him credit right now, is he beats Louisiana Tech. You yeah. know, so you, you got you to gotta give him credit for that. But if, if I want to look at it on the other side, if I'm being negative, Tech can't even beat us with Bob Marlin as the coach. You know, you want to look at it that <laughs> way. So, so uh-huh. uh, yeah, I mean, look, the Rustin delusion, we've been talking about it ever since I can remember. It, it is real. It is palpable when you go up there. They have this odd sense of superiority that really doesn't exist at all. Their fans don't really know the game. One thing that I love about being a fan of this program and, and from this area, our the majority of our fan base know the game. We understand the game. We're students of the game. That that program and that fan base, they don't. They don't, they don't know what the hell they're looking at. They just know I'm going to show up, drink a few beers, and holler at, at the blue, at, at the umpire. Our, our fans, don't get me wrong, if there's a call that's close off the plate, or even sometimes if a guy's rocking and rolling and it's three inches off the plate and he, he calls it a ball, I mean, they're going to give hell. Sure. But in a sarcastic, funny way. Yes. I think those guys, I mean, with all the calls that they got last night from that that first base umpire, and right. they're still complaining about balls that are, that are you know, clearly strikes, I mean, that, that to me was just funny. That, if, you that could, was funny. if you could see to the right on the broadcast, we had a guy check swing. I think it was Hoodie. No, it was Max Marshock. He he checked swings. And I mean, Nick, it's not close, dude. I mean, he <laughs> I remember clearly that. did not swing. This guy stands up, and I thought he was going to go fight the, the home plate umpire. <laughs> I mean, he blew, I blew a gasket completely. In, I mean, he was just so mad. And I thought right then and there, I was like, have you ever seen a dumber, more blustery fan base? Well, I got one better for you. Have you ever really seen a Louisiana Tech fan in public anywhere outside of Ruston? I live in Houston, right? And I will see occasionally. Now, I'm not going to say there's a whole bunch of vermilion and white around, but every now and then I'm walking downtown and somebody will have a raging cage and something on, or I will, and that'll start a conversation. LSU, obviously, Tulane kind of sprinkled in there. I have never in Lafayette, in living in Baton Rouge, living in Houston, ever seen a tech fan in public. So I don't know where they come from. It might be just a bunch of people on social media creating other accounts and then acting like they have this huge fan base, but I don't see it, man. That's what it is. Or they're usually wearing LSU hats. Ah, good point. Good point. (laughs) Last last thought on last night's game, uh, Cooper Rawls came in and, for my money, saved the season. I think that was a game you had to get to feel good about yourself. RPI-wise... I can already tell you we moved up four spots to number 44 just for playing that two-game set, and winning was a big, big thing for our conference RPI, or for our, our, our RPI and for our, um, our strength of schedule, which is now number six in the country. So that was such a huge win at such a crucial moment. I, I think that that performance, it, it, we will look back, and we might be able to say 
Cooper Rawls, he, he put us on his back that night and might have turned the season around. That might be hyperbole to some. I think that the moment was huge. Did you feel the same? Yeah, I feel I take it back to that two lane game in 2000 where I think we were we were in a midweek game. We were hosting Tulane and I can't remember who the player was, but he gets this base hit over the right over the first baseman's head. And that kind of broke the game open for us because we were trailing. And that like Robot was pointed to that as as the moment in our season where it kind of turned everything around and, and really gave us momentum for the second half. And I, I forgot, it may have been you that mentioned it or somebody mentioned it, it may have been me guys, but we are typically, our program is a second half of the season program. We really step it up and seem to seem to get a little bit better as the season progresses in the second half. So maybe this is it. Again, I'm still not sold on the consistency of the program and the pitching and the hitting and, and the performance and the strategy, right, of, of the lineup changing every game. Um, but hopefully, hopefully this is going to be something that we look back at that can be our two lane moment and say, that's how we got here. Um, but again, we got to follow that up against, I don't want to say a bad Arkansas state team this weekend, but a team that we should in every aspect of the game dominate, but they, but Arkansas state let's back up when we were really good. They have won a Sunday or Saturday game that they shouldn't have and really kind of, kind of, you know, made the weekend not so great for us. So we've got to follow up our performance last night against this team and win on Saturday. We have got to win on Saturday, and this is your opportunity, and we can't waste it. Well, hell, they were, they were bad last year, and they beat us on Sunday. I won't exactly. go too far into that because I think that that was uh, self-inflicted, but I digress. Uh, let's go back to game one on Tuesday, a game that, you know, Tech got off to a good start. We competed, fought back, took the lead, uh, took the lead into the seventh, I think that's correct. Took the lead into the seventh. And McLeod hits the home run to tie the game. And then we started walking people. If you look at the two games as a whole, I think we were the better team overall. And that's saying something because I think Tech is a good baseball program. I think they, they have a good team. Um, in particular, Young at shortstop is a good, a good player. Very good defensively. Made, made an uncharacteristic error last night. It was a tough play. I'll give him that. Uh, but you got Netterville who's been feels like he's been hurting the Cajuns for three years. Uh, Steele, also another good player for them. But they've got a good roster. Uh, I was not overly impressed with Greg Martinez, but he did go five. Gave up three hits. You know, this guy has 70 innings over the course of his career. And he's, he's a lifetime five-and-a-half ERA. He's, a, he's your prototypical midweek starter. You got to hit that guy. It, maybe he had the outing of his life. Nick, I didn't see the outing of his life. I saw a guy make a lot of mistakes that we didn't capitalize on. And then they came in and their relievers shut us down. We, we weren't able to get anything um, outside of that eighth inning. What did you see out of Greg Martinez? And then we'll, we'll get into Dirk after that. But I see a lot of people blaming pitching. And, and look, they're not without fault. We, you can't walk 10 people. But I would argue that you can't just look at the box score and see a 10 next to BB and say, oh, it's the pitching staff. I think you got to go out there and set the tone early offensively because, again, I'll continue to say this, Deggs has built this team to win at the plate. Again, it's just that inconsistency. I didn't see anything crazy. I mean, he had good movement on his pitches. He wasn't by any means blowing anybody away with a 95-mile-per-hour fastball, but he had good movement, and he um, he threw for strikes. He got ahead in the count, which we didn't do pitching-wise. Um, yes, I think pitching had a lot to do with this game. 
Um, obviously, later in the game, when you're when you're giving up your walking runs in, you can't do that, man. You can't do that. So we've got to we've got to do better there. But we've got to do better at the plate. I mean, we went up. I think we had a three-two lead, right? So we took a three-two lead, and then we give up two runs in the next half inning to go down four-three. I mean, you, the, the the most important thing that you have to do once you take the lead is the next half inning. Don't let them take the lead back or tie it. And we, and we did just that. So that took the momentum out. And I felt that was a, a, a kind of game changing moment there when we let them get the two runs to take the lead back. Um, but look, I, I agree. We need more discipline. We need less strikeouts, right? We can't just continue to strike out 12 times a game. That's not, that's not a great look for us. Put the ball in play. You saw it in that sixth inning in the second game. We just put the ball in play. And things happen, right? There were a couple errors in that inning. We single, 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 single. That, that's all you need to do. I feel like sometimes we get up there with this mentality that we're going to crush the ball. And we don't need to crush the ball every time. We just need to get base hits. We need to put the ball in play and see what happens. So credit to Martinez. Look, he, he got up there. He got the job done. Um, he was scrappy. He, did, he kept throwing strikes later into, into his appearance. Um, but, but our pitching does have to get better However, that late in the game, when we are obviously not showing anything on offense, I mean, you could have gone in and struck, struck out the side twice in a row, and we still, I don't think we would have still had the game. I don't think we would have scored enough runs to win once they went up 4-3. So um, in both aspects, yes, I, we got to get better, period. Yeah, we'll dig into to our relievers here in a second. But I, I forgot to mention, in game two, Tech trotted out their the Friday starter, going into the season, that guy was a Friday starter. I can't remember his name. It was a Friday starter. They, the guy that's been starting on the Sunday on Sundays for Tech came out to pitch, and their closer came out to pitch. That's how badly they wanted the game on, on last night. Now, Dude, Monday night. First, by the way, that's not the first time they've done that. They started their Friday night starter against us one year, and I think ruined his arm because of it. I, oh, think that I remember. Yeah. That, that was when uh, Burroughs wasn't the head coach. It was uh, – yeah, it was a, the – I can't remember his the name. The guy right before him. Yes, I know. Yeah. I remember exactly who you're talking about. Oh, man, that guy was an asshole. Um, yeah, kid <laughs> threw like 129 pitches early in the season on like a Tuesday night. I remember what right. you're talking After about. After pitching on Friday, by the way. Yes, yes. So, anyway, in, the, in game two, they really wanted to take that one from us, so they used their weekend guys. Game one, they didn't do that. They didn't have to do that. But you made a comment that I, I wanted to kind of touch on. It felt like a game of momentum. Right, I mean, it was a highly competitive game. There were a couple of missed opportunities, but it felt like momentum was a, was definitely a, a huge factor going back and forth to, to both dugouts. I want to go to the seventh inning when Raconis, who, by the way, is just on a heater right now, uh, hits the homer. Right before Raconis hits the homer, you got Kemp and Julian first and second, right? Nobody out, and the, the reliever that they brought in was not finding the zone. He was all over the place. Deggs calls double steal, right? Obviously, Kemp moves to third. And Julian, they throw behind the play, and Julian gets thrown out at second base. Now, Julian is the catcher for our team. Number one, catchers don't steal bases. Just shouldn't steal bases. I'm a, I'm a retired, not very good catcher. I hated stealing because it's a lose-lose. If you try to steal, you don't get any credit if you do it. And if you get thrown out, they look at you and they say, what the hell are you doing? He's like, well, dude, you told me to steal. Anyway, I digress on that. Uh, Julian is a student of the game. His baseball IQ is through the roof. He knows that he has to get from first to second base. That is a key, crucial moment in the game. I didn't think the La Tech catcher was very good, but he was accurate. 
And on this particular play, you got a, a slower runner in Julian. Running the second, he's behind the play. Guy made a throw, he's out. Crushed our momentum because right after that, Rinconis hits it out of the damn park. That costs you a run. Bab was asked about that play. I specifically asked Scott to ask Bab. He said on the radio, well, you know, Julian's just got to get there. He just can't be thrown out at second base. Okay. Or you don't call a double steal with a guy that can't find the zone and nobody out. Right? I mean, that. why put, in my view, as a coach, your, your, your role is to put these kids in position to succeed. Making that call right there, it wasn't a hit and run, Nick. It was a straight double steal because they were trying to take advantage of the tech catcher. Which, look, on paper, it's not a terrible move, but if you look at it situationally and you say, I have, I have Julian at first, the guy can't throw strikes, I'm going to let my batter see pitches. I totally disagree with the call at the time, and then when I got the answer from Bab, I, I, it, it made me mad. Because are you going to tell me that Julian is not smart enough to know that he has to get from first to second to keep the momentum going? Of course he does. But I hated the call. Why call that? Let the kid hang himself if he's, he's going to keep throwing balls and give us some free base runners. Let the pitcher hang himself. Did you have any thoughts on that? I think, that, well, I think that's just another example of us just being aggressive for the sake of being aggressive. Like just being known that we're an aggressive team, so this is what we do. Right. And we're going to put it on film. And But smart aggressive versus just being aggressive for the hell of it, two different Two different things. So you got to know your situation. Like you said, situational awareness. What do you do in that moment? There's, there's no reason. I, there, there's so many more negatives that can come out of that than positives, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I'm with you. Maybe, maybe the thought was they were trying to stay out of a double play. I don't know. But in the end, I mean, it caught, like you said, it costs us a run. So we got to be situationally smart and aggressive rather than just being aggressive because. Yeah, and that's what I call overmanaging. For people that get mad at me for saying that, I'm just trying to give a specific example. That's one of them. And look, I know Deggs knows that. I know he didn't know Rinconis was going to hit it out of the park on the next pitch. I understand that. It doesn't matter. The result is irrelevant. It's not a smart call. It's not a high percentage risk. Because if you look at Rinconis over the last, I don't know, 10 games, he's hitting like 400, dude, with, with multiple RBI. He's gotten clutch hit after clutch hit. And then he did it in the same at bat. So ultimately, it ends up costing you a run, and that changes the momentum of the game. It changes who you bring in to relieve. It changes, it changes plenty how you manage the game going forward. Uh, it, that really pissed me off, and I, I ranted about it. So obviously, you guys know I was mad about it, but I think it's important for when I, I'm opinionated about how I think Matt, Matt, Matt Deggs manages games. So I, I wanted to just give a specific example when I saw it, and that was one of them. There was another one. Uh, getting back into pitching. You know, Dirk, he gets the call. He goes out. He has a rough first inning. When he got out of it, he threw two, He threw 28 pitches in that first inning. So I understand that that was a little bit more than just a rough inning. But, man, credit the guy for not, not just totally folding. He gets out of it. He goes to the, the second inning, one, two, three. Uh, bot- it was bottom third of the lineup, if I remember right. He goes one, two, three through the lineup, and then they 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 uh, recycle the lineup in the third. He does give up two runs. Okay, as we said already, Tech is a potent offense. They have quality bats. He gives up the two. He battles back to get two big outs. Strikes out the th- the three hole hitter, and then he doesn't come out for the fourth. 
I put this on social media because I don't want to, I don't want anybody to tell me the, 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 you know, Monday morning quarterback shit. I first guess before it ever happened. I first guessed. I didn't know it was going to be bonds. We talked about that in the round table. We knew Bo, Bo was probably going to pitch this week. Didn't expect him to pitch in the midweek. He comes out. He has a good game. He looks dominant at times. He threw 83 pitches, but I thought he was done an inning before they let him go too far. And so my juxtaposition here, right, is you're trying to instill confidence in Dirk. You're trying to show him, hey, we believe in you. We want to see you pitch. And Matt Deggs even made the comment pregame. Dirk can pitch as long as Dirk wants to pitch. Well, Dirk showed you that he was going to fight back. And he did it. And yeah, he gave up the two runs. But again, it's against a good lineup. He didn't just fold. In fact, I was more encouraged when he came off the mound in the bottom of the third than anything else. But you pull him. Then you have Bonds coming off of a pretty quirky and bizarre situation uh, with a maybe suspended, maybe not situation. And you leave him in there. He gets himself in trouble. You let him come out for another inning, and he gives up runs. So, again, the consistency versus the inconsistency. Why did Dirk get yanked? And why did, why did Bo have the confidence to continue? I think, I think it's a lack of confidence in your decision-making because there's, as you said, no consistency on leaving someone out. Okay, they come back. Okay, we'll pull them. But we'll, we'll leave this other guy out to dry. There's no, like, I don't even have a feel. Look, you, we knew a few seasons ago when, when a pitcher was done. Like, it was, it was clear. And granted, sometimes Robichaud would keep the player out there a little longer than I liked. For sure. But, and, and I would say that was his biggest criticism. But wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree that he did that a lot more early in the season to see what these guys could withstand? Or what, what kind of? And then by the time you're post midway through the season, we kind of have defined roles here. I mean, yeah. not to harp on it, we go back to Rawls. Kid has two appearances and he goes out and dominates Tech to get a huge midweek win. There's no way that that happened overnight, Nick. Right. No, I agree with you. And, and again, I think we say, I know I keep saying that word consistency. It's not only consistency with our bats, with our pitchers, with our coaching. Like we've got to be consistent on what we expect and what we see and what we feel. And I get a lot of the pitching decisions you make are based on statistics but also about your gut feeling and i don't feel like we really have that gut feeling about anybody right now i feel like we're just kind of kind of seeing how it goes for some guys but other guys not really because we don't know how we really feel about it look bonds is dominant but i knew i mean the other night when he he gave up a home run they pulled him he was pissed that he gave up that home run but he had a spectacular night before that but now you're going to go and, and let him have a bad inning and, and keep him out there. Like I, that's what I don't understand is, is where the decision-making is. And again, I'm not privy to what goes on behind the scenes. So I don't know how their decision-making is made, but from an outsider's perspective, it's confusing and it leaves us not understanding what's going to happen next. So that's a little unnerving when you get in those situations and not know how anybody's going to respond to it. I think the best way to explain it, if you, take a, if you take a step back from the stats and from their appearances and you just look at the names and you listen to how Deggs talks about each individual player, when it comes to Dirk, I think that Matt knows he needs Dirk long-term, so he's willing to continue to give a chance. However, at the very first sign of trouble, he gets 
you know, for lack of a better term, he gets tight butthole, right? He's, he's like, look, I'm not going to let this kid implode and ruin this game for me. That's the way that I see it as a fan. Now, I think that he's chosen a toit, a bonds, a chipper, and said, well, I'm going to ride or die with these guys, and I really don't care what the stats say. Because they love chipper spin rate and a few other things. They love it. I think they like Toit's um, mentality. We'll call it that. I think they like Bonds because, obviously, he has some of the best stuff on the team. Maybe Rawls wasn't taken seriously because he had a four ERA in Juco. I, I don't know. I mean, I know why there's some stuff behind the scene. I won't get into it just yet because I haven't gotten a thumbs up from the person uh, that I got the information from, so I won't, I won't disrespect him that way, but there is some other stuff behind the scenes with, with Rawls. But the front end of that is I don't think that they took him very seriously. That, that's just my opinion. I think the way that we evaluate pitchers, it, it, it's broken, my opinion only. You know, another question that I, we asked Bab, I asked Scott to ask Bab, why take Dirk out in that situation? Why not let him come back for the fourth? And I mean, give him a batter. You know, Tony used to do that a lot. We mentioned Robe and how he handled pitchers. He was also a master developer of pitchers. But why not just trot him back out there for one more batter? See what happens. He said that it was because Dirk, was getting up to 85, 90 pitches. Well, I looked up the stats, Nick. Dirk threw 69 pitches. And while I understand that 69 pitches in three innings is not exactly efficient, it's not 90 pitches either. So whether Bab didn't know and he gave a, an incorrect answer by mistake or they just perceived him to be throwing a lot of pitches, I don't know the answer to that. But it shows me that there's a disconnect between what they're seeing and how they feel. And I don't like a manager that manages on feel. I like a manager that, that understands that they're, they're it, again, situational. It can't always be analytics. I always say manalytics. I got that from Cowherd. I thought it was a, a spectacular term. It can't always be manalytics, and it can't be fly by the seat of your pants. It has to be who's up, where are we at in the game, where are we at in the season, uh, who do I trust, uh, uh, you know, if it's a matchup, it's a matchup. I don't know. I'm the, I don't get paid to coach. I can just tell you how we feel as fans. And as a fan, it feels like there are favorites on this team, and it felt the same way last year, if I'm going to be honest. There are favorites, and there are guys that have to earn every little ounce of playing time that they can get. Hopefully, Rawls earned that playing time. I think he earned it last night. But we got to figure it out long term because, again, we're halfway through the season, and we don't really have a plan for midweek games. And so when you get into that fourth game of a Sunbelt Conference tournament and you don't know who you're, who you're sending out there, that's a little bit concerning at this point in the season. So I, I totally get where you're coming from, from your perspective. And I agree with you in some points, especially the fly by the seat of your pants. Cause I feel like we do that a little too much. You know, I, I will say this, Nick, it, this is kind of a, a, a new thing probably over the last five years or so the Cajun program and the fan base really did not have a social media presence, not anything of note. And over the course of a five year period or so uh, between all the different social platforms and, uh, the message boards, and obviously we Rage and Review has, has done something to help that. Um, it's, it's been kind of heartwarming to see our fans fight back, for lack of a better term. You know, we, we've had to eat shit from these programs for so long, Louisiana Tech and, and LSU and all this. It seems like now, anytime we play these in-state people and these in-state rivalries, we have a little bit of an army that goes out and defends the program and rides for the Rage and Cajun brand, and that is so great. I mean, it's something that you almost have to have in, in 2022, right? I mean, 
with the with the the way that we communicate and how popular Twitter, Facebook, and all that stuff has become, it is it is a vehicle for communication and spreading awareness about your program. So I think it's 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 good. I think it's necessary. Um, it's just a different world that we live in. And I think what I I you really saw that come to light when Napier left, and then he took all of our staff and started taking some of our players. I think you saw people starting to get pissed off and you saw the old school fans who were just like, Oh, well, you know, good luck. We love you. Have fun. Yeah, we can do that. But if you cross us, you cross a cage in one time, let me tell you, they're done. And a lot of our fans at that point were done. And they started expressing that frustration and defending our program when other people would call, call, uh, would try to call us out on that stuff. So yes, I, to your point, I a hundred thousand percent agree that we've had uh, a, a, a more prevalent um, and, and obvious, I guess, social media presence than we have in the past. Good to see that. Agreed. We're going to take a quick break, let you guys patronize the sponsors. When we come back, we'll do some notes from around the league last night and on Tuesday. We'll set up for Arkansas State this weekend, and we'll do some other little small uh, fun topics like the Masters. Sit and stay. Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! All right, guys, we're going to do a weekly update uh, every episode during the rest of baseball season because I think it's about that time where pretty much everything matters. On Tuesday, several games canceled around the league, games that probably don't really matter anyway, a lot of out-of-conference stuff. Obviously, Cajuns lose the Tech 7-3. to Arkansas State, this weekend's opponent, Loses to SEMO at SEMO, Southeast Missouri State. They have a good program, have for a long time. But you'd like to see your conference mate get that game. I mean, I mean come on, help the RPI. My God, you're already in the 240s. Um, TCU. Arlington loses 10-2 to at TCU, ranked 23 in the country. Everybody knows TCU is a good, a good program. Um, Would have liked to get that one. But UTA has been an enigma. They, they've got some decent wins on the schedule, but... Nothing really to write home about. That'll be an interesting series when we play in Dallas. 
Uh, number 10 team in the country, Texas State, plays Texas A&M in another good RPI game for the league. However, they get doubled up 8-4 to four, uh, in a game that they had the lead. So, unfortunately, they can't bring that home for the league. Uh, but Texas State remains a strong team, and looking ahead to San Marcos, they'll be the second-to-last conference series for the Cajuns and will be on the road. All the rest of the games in the league got canceled. Georgia State at Tuskegee didn't get played. Coastal Carolina and Wilmington did not get played. App State and East Tennessee State didn't get played. South Al was supposed to play Southeastern uh, in a game that we'll talk about in a second on Wednesday. A little bit of a surprise. Arkansas Pine Bluff and Little Rock, another game that got canceled. I guess all that weather that came through wreaked havoc on, uh, on the Southeast. It's that time of year, though, so really no surprise there. Wednesday, Georgia State beat a team that doesn't even register uh, on the RPI. I, I can't even – it says TBA on, on the score on the scorebook. So, they win. And Georgia State, I mean, they are on fire offensively. They've got uh, a, a great opportunity to improve their position in the league. That ought to be a great series when we hook up. So, Georgia State's on a roll. Cajuns beat Tech 8-6. Southeastern goes to Troy and wins. Five to four. Southeastern has some incredible wins on their schedule after they were playing, uh, well, they were mired in a slump, seven or eight game losing streak. Uh, after the Cajuns played them, they've, they've kind of picked it back up. So good win for them, bad loss for the league. Uh, well, I say bad loss. Southeastern still has a, a damn good RPI, so really not all that bad. Troy, 18 and 10. Ever since sweeping the Cajuns, a little bit of Jekyll and Hyde. UTA comes back and beats Tarleton. Uh, if you guys remember, a potential CUSA program, 16-13 uh, to 13 in uh, what was kind of a, a strange game, back-and-forth offensive fireworks. So good on UTA for taking care of a Division II school. South Alabama comes back, beats Alabama State 10-0 in a mercy game. All right, RPI update for the league. Texas State still rocking and rolling. Several Quadrant 1 wins, several Quadrant 1 games. They've played nine. Again, Really good strength of schedule. They sit at 41 in the RPI. Georgia State, as we mentioned, 1-7 against Q1 teams. But a lot of that has to do with early seed. They played a brutal early schedule. Uh, they sit at 56 in the RPI. Georgia Southern, a team that we just took two of three, should have swept. Uh, they are 4-7 and seven against Quadrant 1 teams. Again, another team with just absolutely brutal schedule. They played Georgia three times. And you've seen what Georgia's capable of doing over the last week or so. They sit at RPI number 24, another just really strong, healthy program in this league. Coastal Carolina has been playing really good baseball. They're 6-3-1 in their last 10. Uh, they are 4-6 and six against Quadrant 1 teams, but they sit at 38 in the RPI. Troy, as we mentioned, kind of falling a little bit lately. They are 5-5 five and five in their last 10. They have five quality wins against the, number, uh, the Q1 quality teams. They sit eight, 87 in RPI. Uh, let's see, Louisiana. Obviously, we've been up and down a little bit. We're 15 and 14 on the season. We sit at 44 in the RPI. We have four Q1 wins. We have six losses against the Q1. Another, you know, great schedule you guys know very well, number six in the country. And we're six and four in our last 10. South Alabama at number 60 in the RPI. They are three and seven in their last 10. And like Nick and I said, I think the Cajuns broke them. Uh, South Alabama has not been playing good baseball since they came to the Teague. So, Nick, that's an update on the league after a, a couple of midweek games. And, you know, obviously we didn't get to recap all of the league from last weekend. Uh, but that gives you a, a good glimpse on where we're at as a conference. 
How do you feel about it going forward? That's still one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams in the con- in the uh, top 100 in RPI. Yeah, I, I I like where it's going. I don't think we will. I think if if we look ahead, and and again, I guess we get we can pretend that we're the SEC now because we're going to start playing each other a lot more. Um, we're going to end the season with six, seven teams in the top 100 and hopefully four or five teams in the top 50. And I'm hopeful that we get two two bids to uh, a regional, maybe sneak in a third, depending on what bubble teams look like, who wins in tournaments, et cetera. But there, that's nothing but good news for our league as a whole and the health of our league as a baseball league. And you look ahead to next season, James Madison, I think is in the eighties in RPI um, Southern miss around 11 or 12. So you're looking next season. If they're in our league this year, we got nine teams in the top hundred. Um, so yeah, promising, very promising. I would hope that we are a multi bid league this year. Again, depending on how some things pan out with, with other conference tournaments, but very exciting to see baseball getting back up to where it used to be. Cause I got to tell you back in, like I mentioned a couple pods ago, when FIU was in the league, Western Kentucky, South Alabama, us, we had four teams in the tournament and there's no reason why we can't get back there. There's an argument that can be made that at least three teams can make the tournament. I mean, if you, Louisiana, if you look at our numbers and our nitty gritty sheet, it's good. We, we need to win more. There's no doubt about it. But it sets up to where if we can really start taking care of business and conference, maybe not get an at-large, but if we win the tournament, we will have a good seed in the tournament. And Texas State, look, if they don't win the tournament, they're getting in. They're an at-large team. Georgia Southern still sits at 24 in the RPI. If they can win, I don't know, 37, 38 games, I don't know how you pass over them. Their nitty-gritty is just too good. So we'll see. I think you can make an argument. But I think, I think my, my concern, though, is we can't leave anything to chance. So only one team's going to win the tournament. We get that. They're going to be an auto bid. So if we don't make the tournament or if Georgia Southern doesn't make the tournament, we cannot give the committee any reason not to pick us. Right. And I think that's why it's so important that these games against Arkansas State that we have coming up and the games against the lower RPI teams, we have got to sweep those teams. Otherwise, that puts us in a position for them to say, well, yeah, they did good against these teams, but look, they couldn't even beat Arkansas State. Yeah, speaking of Arkansas State, look, it, it's been a struggle. Uh, one and nine in their last 10. They're five and 21 on the season. Con- they're currently ranked 240 in the RPI. Uh, like we mentioned, it's St. Peter's type numbers. Um, it's going to really hurt our RPI. That's why it is absolutely imperative to go up to Jonesboro and go 3-0. and 2-1 and one will not cut it this week. You got to sweep that team. That is a bad team. They have they played 10 Q1 games. They have won exactly zero. Look, it's 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 you have to win all of them. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You can't take it for granted that we're going to go in and sweep. We need to. We expect to. We have to, as you said. But they can't, they can't at any point during the series let the foot off the pedal because 2014, number one team in the country, UNO comes to our place and beats us. So we can't afford, especially with the inconsistencies that we've had so far this season, we can't afford to have a, a crazy inning where we just walk 
seven guys in a row and let them score three, four runs. That would set you up for a severe disappointment. As long as we throw for strikes, get ahead in the count, not, not run ourselves out of innings, I think we'll be fine. But again, don't take this for granted as we're just going to go in there and, and win. They've also got some D1 athletes that want to win, and we got to compete against them. Absolutely. And, and at home, they've been competitive. You know, it's not like they're getting their doors blown off. Texas State is obviously the class of this league right now. They got two one-run losses to Texas State on Saturday and Sunday. So they pushed a very good Texas State team. Coastal, you know, they didn't get blown out on Friday night, but they, gave, they lost four to, uh, four to nothing, and it was, I think it was two to nothing going into the seventh. So on Saturday, they come back and they lose by one. That's in Jonesboro. I mean, they play better at home. Like you said, we cannot be complacent. I think the biggest test for this team this week is to not just walk in and expect to win. And that is part of growing up and learning how to win. Just because you can beat a team like Tech and take two or three from a team like Georgia Southern doesn't mean that you're going to walk into Jonesboro and they're just going to forfeit the games. We got to go out. We got to pitch. We got to hit. And we got to defend. Look, this team has a... As a staff, they have like a six and a half ERA, six point six ERA. That's not good. Now their starters, uh, they have a couple of guys that got some some innings. Uh, you know, Will Nash is one of the guys that they rely on, but his his ERA is seven and a half. You know, you got a guy in Justin Medlin. He's thrown thirty three innings, but his ERA is three and a half. You know, the other guy that they really rely, rely on. Uh, I don't know if they're going to use him in a starting role, but he's been starting lately. Is Philip Bryant? None of this. This is another guy with a four ERA. I don't see how a team like ours that is built to win on offense will, will take this for granted. This is an opportunity to go pad the stats. This is an opportunity to go hit a couple balls over the wall, stick some, some balls in the gap, get your slug up, get your average up, feel good about yourself going in to the rest of the conference schedule. And, and it's not like they can swing it either. You know, I mean, like we said, they do play better at home, but you're talking about a team that hits 248 as a, as a team, 248, you know. Uh, the slug is like 360. You know, that's, that's not good. They, they don't really manufacture runs either, and they're not great defensively. So, Nick, it's hard to really talk good about this team. Uh, I don't know. Their fielding percentage is 950. It's bad. It's bad. All the way around, it's bad. They, they are what their record suggests they are. Yeah. There's no, there's, yeah, there's no sugarcoating it. They're not a great team. But again, we cannot beat ourselves this weekend, which we have shown we can do. We can give games away that we shouldn't. So fingers crossed we put it all together, get a big sweep, and, and look forward to, uh, to the games next week. But don't look forward during this weekend. Let's look forward after we sweep them. It's, it's the thing that Robe used to always say, you know. And we're, we're, look, if you guys are tired of us making robe uh, uh, analogies or going back to what Robe said. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, this is not the pod for you because we're going to do it, man. That's, uh, we grew up on that. So it's true. You can't beat yourself. This weekend is all about how we handle ourselves. I hope Deg sells it like that to the locker room, and I hope the guys respond. Uh, weather should not be an issue. It's going to get down to 45, 39, 53, 63 from now until – until Sunday, that those are the lows. But, you know, talking about game time of 65, 70, 73, and 80. Should not be an issue. Looks like a gorgeous weekend in Jonesboro. If there could be one, that's about as good as it's going to get. Not a great visit uh, for me. I, I don't like going there. 
but but look, not worse than Gary Hogan Field at UALR though. There's nothing worse than Gary Hogan Field. Well, I will say this about Jonesboro: I don't have to pack a gat to go to the game. So, <laughs> I I agree with you on the UALR stuff. Uh, but anyway, we are we're that's about as much of a preview as we're going to give this week. Uh, you know, we are where we are. It's time to kick it in high gear. We need to go hit. We need to go pitch, and we need to take care of our own business. Arkansas State is a good team to get right with. They're not. They're not a good. They're not a good program right now. You know, I, I've always had some respect for Tommy Raffo. He's not working with a whole lot of resources and fan support up there. So uh, uh, I think that he's a good baseball guy. He's just really not producing like they would like him to. I mean, uh, we'll see. We'll see. But it's a good opportunity to go win some ball games. So let's do that. Moving on to softball, the girls took a uh, a six five loss to McNeese yesterday. I, I I know that McNeese has had a quality program for about a decade now, maybe even longer than that. I don't think you can lose to McNeese with the way the girls have been trending lately. You coming off that Texas swing three and one, feeling good about yourself. I, I that's a tough loss in a in a key moment in the season. I don't know what McNeese. I I don't know what their record is. I don't know where their standing is in the Southland, but they've been good, but they're not the Cajuns and. The, the, the negative stuff towards Glasgow is starting to get louder and louder. I will say that I think he's done a fine job, all things considered. He came in and took a job that probably not many people wanted based on how the last coach was removed and, and all of the things that were not, not great about how the program was being run when, when Lotif was kicked. I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm a proponent of fans voicing their opinion. I am. But... I think that there's a time where you got to understand the situation and you got to take the temperature of the room. I don't. I don't think that the negative stuff towards Glasgow is warranted right now. I understand that they're in a rebuilding phase, but you have to also understand the guy came in and rebuilt the roster. He went through COVID. He 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 had to go to the JUCO route because a lot of players left after Mike was kicked. So. Nick, do you feel like it's it's warranted all the all the comments towards to, towards Jerry? I, you follow it a little bit more than I do, and also your thoughts on the the loss to McNeese uh, last night. Yeah, I think it's a sign of the program and how dominant they have been for so many years, and how you get spoiled with that dominance, and and thinking that they hadn't beat a top twenty five team until Texas this season. That, that was a little kind of like you, you take a step back and go, wow, what's going on with the program? It's always okay for fans to look at the top when, when teams aren't performing up to their expectations. And again, the expectations are so darn high that even when we beat teams, if we don't crush them, our fans are looking like, well, why aren't we crushing these teams? So when you lose to a team like McNeese, who, again, they, they have a decent program, when you lose to them in a midweek game, that you're expecting to crush them, yeah, you're going to take a step back and you're going to start questioning the top and saying, Hey, do we have the right guy there? Now that being said, Jerry Glasgow has done nothing but great things for this program since he's been here. And as you said, the adversity, not only, only with that, but personally with what happened a couple of years ago with his daughter passing tragically, look, he's been through a lot as, as head coach of this program. And you can't think of our diamond sports in the same way that we think of football. Like you drop a game or two in football, your season's done. Baseball and softball aren't aren't the same. I mean, you can go on a hot streak at the end of the season and make it all the way to Oklahoma City and and not have a great record. 
or have really any great quality wins early in the season. So you gotta, you gotta look at it from a standpoint of we're halfway through the season, right? We still have another half of, of softball yet, yet to play. And then maybe a couple years down the road, if, if we're having some similar seasons where we're not beating top 25 teams, we're dropping games that we shouldn't, then yeah, maybe you can have that conversation. But again, don't look at this from a football perspective when you drop a game that you shouldn't. That's, that's how the diamond sports are. You're going to lose games that you shouldn't lose. You're going to win games that you shouldn't lose. But you really do, to, at the end of the season, have the opportunity to really see how everything has come together. And you've just got to let it play out. I mean, what happens to those fans who are calling for his head today? If we somehow make it to Oklahoma city, where are they going to be? They're going to be out there cheering like nothing ever happened. So temper, temper your expectations. As you said, you don't think that there should ever be a rebuilding year when you have such a dominant program, but there are, there are years for every single program, LSU who used to be completely dominant all the time. They go through rebuilding years just as we do in baseball and softball and et cetera. So let the man do his work. He, he's proven, he's a proven winning coach. He's proven to run program, not only the right way, but in a winning way. And let's step back, be big picture guys and gals and, and evaluate this at the end of the season and then make your determination. Not because of one loss to McNeese midweek. Like, come on, man. How many, we still haven't lost a weekend series in what, 67, 68 Sunbelt Conference series. We still haven't lost. Really? So who are you going to bring in that's going to do better? That's my question. Who are you going to bring in that's going to do better? You think Pat Kelly's going to come coach? He ain't leaving. Right. And let's remember that baseball had three- and four-year cycles, and everybody holds baseball to this very high – they put it on a pedestal, and, and baseball has earned that, I, I think. But, look, it's, it's, it's a collegiate sport. You're going to have cycles that happens even here. And the other thing is that – other programs have understood that softball is a it's a good vehicle to to advertise your brand, and they've started to heavily invest. So it's not it's not the you know, uh, Gerard. It's not the Yvette Gerard softball D one anymore. It's that it's it's a totally different deal. We're twenty three and nine with six or seven freshmen getting, you know, the the bulk of the playing time, game in and game out. I'm disappointed with that. You know, I'm disappointed with the, the, the Glasgow needs to go stuff. 23 and nine with seven freshmen. Imagine Deggs going 23 and nine. Now, I know you can't really compare it because the schedules are different and the competition's a little bit different, but still, man, being 500 with seven freshmen in the everyday lineup would be a hell of, of an accomplishment. Get, Glasgow's 181 and 49 and f- with four conference championships since he's been here. Yeah, I'm back <laughs> up at, but back up, back up for a second. And let's talk about, you, you touched on it, what Glasgow walked into and what transpired before his hire. There are a lot of people who are still pissed off at the university firing low teeth, right? Oh, no doubt, no doubt. There's, so it's those cultish, people, man. those fans are waiting for the opportunity to pounce. And they smell blood in the water with a loss to McNeese midweek. And they're coming out of the woodworks going, well, we got to get rid of this guy. Again, you get rid of Glasgow, who the hell are you going to get? I mean, you're not guaranteed that you're going to get somebody who's going to get better results or even the same results as he's gotten. So back up, take a breath, let things play out. Two or three years down the line, if, if we're in the same situation, we can have this conversation. But I think it's silly that we're even bringing that up at this point. Hell, I would even argue that the odds are whoever replaces Glasgow is not going to do what Glasgow has done. 
I mean, again, you, you mentioned it. We are spoiled. We don't even know what we have. We, we, we have an expectation and a standard, and I think that that is absolutely outstanding. We need it in every sport at this university. However, you got to be able to take the temperature of the room, man. That's a, it's a, an important um, quality that we need to be able to, to possess as fans. Jerry Glasgow is having a rebuilding year. It is what it is. You know, uh, he's been through a tumultuous four or five year stint since he's been here. You mentioned um, his daughter, look, COVID, um, having to turn the roster over, the, the details of how the job was his in the first place. It, there's a lot that goes into what he's been able to do here. Um, you want to talk about in-game management? That's a different conversation. But if you if you can't see the forest through the trees, you just can't have a, a good conversation about the Jerry Glasgow era, in my view. Moving on from softball, I'm sure the girls will rebound this weekend. They'll go get another conference series for like the 12th year in a row. Pro Day happened a few days ago here at the Complex. We had some eye-popping numbers from a couple of our athletes. I wanted to bring that up, Nick. It's not every day you get to audition for the NFL. A guy that we've been really harping on for, I mean, since he was a freshman, honestly. I saw him in practice, and I said, that guy's different. Percy Butler. He had 13 reps on the bench. His vertical was 35 inches. Absurd. Three cone was 6.9, and his shuttle was 4.38. That's a sub 4.4 for a guy that played safety and will probably play nickelback in the NFL. Your thoughts on Percy? What I think kind of looking looking at, at those stats you just threw out, he's two inches shorter than Jalen Williams and had an inch on him for his vertical. Insane. And Jalen has the longest arms I've ever seen. And he does. So that, that in itself, I, I said, all right, we're talking what? Third, fourth round? Like, like that good of a, of a performance. So I think, uh, I think he really opened some eyes. Chauncey Manack, insane. Right? Oh, yeah, we're I definitely going to get to that. Oh, his, his stock is way up. So uh, I think those two guys really stood out for me. Keep in mind, Chauncey's like, what, 6'5", 250, 6'4", 250? Listen yeah. to these numbers. 20 reps on the bench, 30-inch vertical. He had a broad jump of over 9 feet. His three-cone was 7.75. Shuttle was 4.5. 40-yard dash was 4.66. That's a sub-4.7 40-yard dash for a rush end. That's 250 and 6.465. He was faster than Levi, wasn't he? Yes, yes, it is. Uh, Levi ran a 4.72. Yeah, Listen, crazy, man. Chauncey Minak, for me did the most to get himself on a team's draft board. And all 32 teams showed up to our pro day, by the way, which in and of itself, you tell me that when Bustle was here, I'd tell you you're out of your damn mind. Uh, that, that, those numbers are insane. I'm happy for Chauncey. I thought he always possessed NFL talent. Um, if he can stay healthy, those numbers right there are going to, that's going to, he's going to be put on some draft sheets just because of that 40 and those jump numbers. And, and look, Mike was on the radio yesterday and he said when Chauncey got here, his reputation was that he didn't want to work, he wasn't a good practice player, and he, he didn't have the desire. He said ever since he got to campus, all that changed. He now is a relentless worker. He's changed. He's transformed his body. He has uh, he, his, his knowledge of the game, he was a sponge. His knowledge of the game has shot up. Chauncey Minnack's going to play in the NFL. You heard it here first. That's good coaching on that, man. To, it's, to it's transform a, good, a kid. That's a good culture, Nick. That's a good culture. Exactly. That, that's putting it even better. Good culture, good coaching, good leadership. Got to love it, man. No doubt. Levi didn't do the bench or the vertical, but his broad jump was 8.7 or, or 8 feet, 7 inches. His three cone was 7.28. 
Shuttle was 4.42, which is good. And then his 40-yard dash was 4.7, which I thought was a little underwhelming for, for Levi. I thought he was faster than that. Um, I don't know if they do the laser or the watch at Pro Day. I'll have to ask Mike, but um, I, I thought he's a little bit faster than that. I don't know if Levi has a legitimate chance to get drafted, but I do know that he'll probably get a few phone calls in the UDFA market. Uh, I think that somebody will give him a chance to make camp. That's what I think, and uh, we'll see. But, you know, we know what Levi is capable of. We know he's a smart guy. And if he wants to play in the NFL, I think that he'll get a, he'll get a call. That's what I believe. We'll see. Max Mitchell, 21 reps on the bench. Uh, the only other thing that he recorded was his 40, and that was 5.2. Not bad for, for a, uh, a big guy like that. I think Max has pretty much solidified himself as a late second, early third round pick. Uh, for what I see on the mocks, uh, the Steelers are interested. Steelers and Seattle were the two teams that I think uh, were most interested in Max in that late second, early third slot. So we'll see. I think Max is going to be just fine. I think he's going to land. You know, he'll be fine. Jalen Williams, like you mentioned, he had a 34-inch vertical. His broad was 9 feet 10 inches. And I want to say that Jalen spent time on the track team, or maybe that was in high school, but that doesn't surprise me at all. His three-cone was 7.37. Shuttle 4.48 and then 40 was 4.78. Uh, I knew that Jalen wasn't a burner, but 4.78. Yeah, come on, Jay. Anyway, all all things considered, a great pro day for everybody. Uh, Mike Desermo sounded very upbeat about the entire situation and the entire process for everybody. He seemed to be gleaming when he was talking about the guys, and especially, you know, Chauncey, Max, Percy, everybody really, but those three stood out uh, for me. So, good luck to them. It's really cool to see Pro Day be a big event at UL. I'm so glad that they've embraced it and, and really turned it into, uh, I mean, really a marquee event now. The, the, uh, if you look at the pictures, there was a lot of people there. Pro Day in the books, and we'll be looking out for those guys as they embark on their professional careers. Let me ask you this. Was it streamed on, on any of the platforms? As far as I know, it was not. You had to be yeah, in, in person, but it was open to the public. Yeah, I think that's a missed opportunity, though, because I see Agreed. a lot of bigger programs. And, and and what's the cost for that? You know, that, that, so I think we need to we need to take a take a note from some of the bigger programs that do things like that, like have the spring game in a professional like format and on ESPN Plus. I get you want to get people there, but at the same time, a lot of our alumni don't live in the area, and I think that's a missed opportunity for you to to get some outreach to them. So, I know Doc listens. So Doc. We got to get this stream up. People want to watch. I mean, I would have watched if I was able to do it. I'm Absolutely. Sure yep. Absolutely. Agree. Uh, spring football notes. Uh, we got some movement on the offensive line. Apparently, Jax Harrington is going to be your new center, or at least he's working at center. So that'll be something to watch. Uh, we have a lot of attrition on the offensive line. Some walk-ons. Um, some young guys have moved on and gotten to the portal. But, you know, it's going to be interesting. We're retooling on offense, and uh, the offensive line is is uh, it's going to be part of that. Uh, but the but the biggest note out of spring was the quarterback battle. Everybody's interested in that. Sounds like Woolridge and Fields will be battling it out for the starter role in the fall. Nick Woolridge is huge. He's like six five, about a buck ninety five. He's the transfer from Fresno. And then, obviously, you have Chandler Fields, who's gotten the majority of the first-team reps when it wasn't Levi. Um, he's, he knows the offense. Uh, I, I assume that Mike is going to run a similar offense to what Billy was running. But he knows the verbiage. He's got the most playing time of all. 
What do you think about that battle? Do you have a preference? Uh, I can tell you that for me, I like, with all the transition and all the movement on the football team and all the turnover, I like having somebody that has a feel for the offense. Maybe he's not the most talented. And by the way, I'm not saying he isn't. I'm just saying that's, that doesn't mean everything to me. I want somebody that I can rely on to be a signal caller. I want somebody that I, I can rely on uh, to have continuity with the rest of the team. Fields is my guy for those intangible purposes, and we know how much intangibles matter to Billy with Levi. So question is, do you, do you lean towards one or the other, and, uh, and, and what do you see going forward? Yeah, they, all, they both check different boxes, I think. Woolridge has got the physical presence um, that, that you, you don't see often um, for, for the Cajuns. It seems like we always went for a six-foot-under quarterback in that in that role that 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 had speed so Woolridge is going to be the he's going to possess the physical tools to be a pocket passer where fields may be able to move around a little bit more as you said he's got the he's got the experience I'm sure he's picked up some leadership skills from Levi in the process but I will tell you if if having all of the leadership skills the proven ability on the field and you're still talking about Woolridge being in the the conversation, then I think that points to Woolridge really showed them something special, right? So Fields is still my guy. I like Chandler. I've liked him since since we recruited him. I've I've liked how he's he's shown poise in the the situations that he's been put in in games. My only hope is that we don't start the stupid two quarterback system thing. Um, yeah, for every now and again, if you're running a wildcat or something crazy, I get it. But I know a couple of years ago we had Levi and then Andre Nunez, I think did this dual quarterback thing for a while. And that was just, I hate seeing that. So I'm hoping that whoever we go with, we, we stick to, but, um, again, if Woolridge is showing that the coaching staff that he's in the conversation and Chandler has all of these great tools that we already know him to possess, that tells me that he's got something special and. Um, whoever we go with, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think we're going to take a step back. I think we're going to keep moving forward in that position. I really like the way Mike's demeanor has evolved as he's been in this role. I, all the interviews that are coming out about pro day and spring ball, he just seems so more, so much more settled and so much more confident in this role. I am excited just watching him operate. I, I, I just am. I, that's a personal thing, but, uh, yeah, look, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. I've always believed that. I don't believe in the two-quarterback system at all. Uh, I understood why Billy did it because, you know, I knew that he he probably saw what could have been in Levi. And, look, let's be honest. Andre Nunez was a JUCO transfer that walked on. The only reason that – the only reason the guy played for Billy was because, I mean, he, he was the best thrower of the football at the time, and that's what we had to do to win. He managed the game properly, and, and credit to him. He got the most out of his talent. Uh, but but going forward, no, I don't think we're in that situation anymore, and I think that if you have two, you don't have one. Last few things will go rapid fire. The Sunbelt Conference just announced that soccer is being sanctioned as a, as a sport in the conference and is going to uh, – we have a couple of affiliate members, I think South Carolina, Kentucky. Uh, there are a few others. But you have the reigning national champions in Marshall and uh, some really good programs. Coastal's got a good soccer program. Do you think that the Cajuns and Brian Maggard should should spend time, effort, and dollars on trying to get a Raging Cajun men's soccer team up and running to compete in a top three conference in America? Or do you think it just doesn't warrant the interest? 
Absolutely, 100% yes. And 10, 15 years ago, I'd have probably said no because you really, I mean, we had some interest in soccer in the area, but you've seen that really blow up in, in the last even 20 years. You've seen it progressively get more popular, and, and now our high school teams are winning state championships locally in the area. Um, and I know it was floated around years ago when when they were thinking about bringing men's soccer into into the fold and again i don't think that the sunbelt was where it was at the time and it didn't really make financial sense but title 9 also you have to think you also have to start a women's sport if you if you bring in men's soccer and the thought at the time was hey what about sand volleyball women's sand volleyball is a big deal in some areas and i think lsu recently started it um, so That's that right. might be an opportunity. Yeah, that might be an opportunity for us to start a women's uh, sand volleyball team. That's not going to be, I mean, the cost isn't going to be tremendously high to support that sport at the time to get it started up. So, yeah, I, I, think, I think this is a great opportunity. I mean, you're inserting yourself into an amazing league right off the bat with some, with some really high-quality opponents, and we've got the talent. I think locally in Acadiana, even, you know, just, just in our backyard to support it. So yeah, I, absolutely. I would, I would definitely tune in and watch some of those games. And uh, I think it would be exciting for our university. I look at the way the women's soccer team has been supported over the last few years and these record breaking crowds. I mean, you can pull in 2,700 people for a girls soccer game against LSU. I think the community would support it and look stats matter. The fact of the matter is, is that, Youth soccer is the fastest-growing sport in America. It, at one time, it was baseball. It's not anymore. It's, it's soccer. And, I, look, if, if, if you have the opportunity to get in a good league, I think the sky is the limit for what we could do as a soccer program here in Lafayette. So that's my thought on it. And I agree with adding uh, a women's sand volleyball. You've got YSC that you can use you, for tournaments. You've got bourgeois that you can use. We could just revamp that and, and use that. Uh, I think the cost would be minimal, just like you said. And if you don't like sand volleyball – Golf, women's golf, it's a, it's a very fast-growing sport. It's basically going to be self-sustained, just like men's. Uh, it's almost all uh, privately funded. I don't think that that would be out of the realm of possibility. Uh, next thing, Major League Baseball returns today. Care or not care? Let's go, Astros. Yes, of course I care, man. I'm in, I'm in. Hey, a coolest thing ever was watching the, the World Series from my office window looking down into Minute Maid. That was one of the coolest memories I have of that. But yeah, um, excited getting, I think the Astros play tomorrow. No, they play tonight. The Astros do play tonight. So uh, yeah, excited to see them. Uh, hopefully, I hate the Braves, man. I, I hope whoever wins the World Series this year is not named the Braves or from Atlanta. But, yeah, excited to to get baseball back on, on the screen every single day uh, un, until till the fall. That's one thing we can agree on. I hate the Braves also. Um, I'm not an Astros fan, but I was in the stadium when Jeff Bagwell hit the home run to right field. Uh, man, I can't remember the year it was. Maybe 97? 98 maybe anyway it was still the killer bees were still there uh so anyway i that was a cool it was a playoff game it was one of the coolest moments uh no it was it must have been oh oh one i should don't quote me my, my brain is is mush right now but you're an old man yeah you know everything those details <laughs> i went to two i went to two postseason astros games one of them was the year that they played white Sox in the world series one of them was the year that they beat the braves and it was like in the middle of the day and i think i was in middle school 
So those those two memories are running together. But it was definitely Jeff Bagwell because the dude right on the side of me caught the ball and absolutely lost his mind. Anyway, uh, I tell I'm, you, I tell you what though, living in Houston and working five blocks from the stadium, it's so cool to be able to say, hey, let's take an early day and go to a day game and just walk over and, and enjoy some baseball. So I really do enjoy that about living and working in Houston. That's awesome. I've actually never been to a night game at a major league park. Every game I've ever been to has been a day game, and I've been to eight stadiums. Uh, but I'm a Cubs fan. You know, I got my World Series, and then Theo dismantled the team, and I've, I've, I've had a love-hate relationship with Major League Baseball ever since the McGuire and Sosa days. Uh, I don't really care that much that it's back. I think it's stupid that they are opening day on, on the first day of the Masters, I, you know, why would you compete with Tiger Woods? It just doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, I guess they couldn't have seen that coming. Uh, yeah, so probably about a 6 out of 10. I'm interested in a 6 out of 10, but I do hate the Braves, so we're, we're good on that. Last but certainly not least, the Masters. Today, Tiger's teeing off here right now, actually. Uh, you got three storylines for me that I, I, I'm going to be watching out for. Rory has an opportunity to co- complete the career Grand Slam. That's a big deal. Uh, Tiger playing at all is a big deal. And, you know, Jordan Spieth overcoming that disaster on 15 and, and kind of getting back to his, his, his groove, you know. I mean, he's been, he's been missing off the tour for three years. You know, he had a good season last year. But at the Masters, I'd love to see Spieth get back on top. If any, if any of those three scenarios play out, I'll be a happy fan. I love the Masters. I love golf. It's, a, it's the premier event in the game for me. Uh, I know, Nick, that you're not a huge golfer, but do you watch the Masters? Do you follow it at all? I've got it on my TV. So yes, I will watch it this weekend. Um, I was, I've been invited to a party on Sunday, which will have alcohol involved and the masters on. So I am all about that. Do I follow it closely? No, I was telling you, I met Justin Rose as you did. So I always pull for him. Um, and I was actually offered to be at the masters today and I'm sitting here having the podcast with you instead, which you're telling me was the dumbest decision I've ever made. So, um, sorry about that. I will keep you. I promise I will keep you in mind next time. And we'll uh, we'll make a trip if I'm ever offered again. And similarly, uh, on what was it Monday night? I got offered a ticket to the front row of of the uh, national championship, Kansas and, and North Carolina, and I said no thanks. So maybe we're both idiots. I don't know. Uh, anyway, Nick, it's been a good time, man. I'm glad we were able to do this. Hopefully, Jerry can get back next week. But it's been a good episode. Everybody, thanks for listening. Appreciate the participation in the roundtable this past week. A lot of fun. We'll try to do it again on Monday, and hopefully that'll become a staple uh, schedule pending. But keep in mind, spring game, April the 9th, Saturday. I want to say it's midday sometime, maybe noon, 1 o'clock time frame. Let's, let's, uh, let's not forget about the football, guys. Pay attention to spring. Renew your season tickets. You should see the emails in, in all of your inboxes. It's a very important time for this program. All right, baseball, go do your thing at Arkansas State. We'll see you guys Monday.